I can't believe that it's been 50 years since my brother Robert and I wrote this little song. It meant a lot to me then, and it means so much more to me now. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hope. There's so much that we share. There is just one moon. And the smile means friendship to everyone. Though the mountains divide. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world. It really is a small, small world. Welcome to episode 6 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I'm Andrew Williamson and I am joined once again by Simon West. Hello again. Each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we turn our attention back to Disneyland Park and our first attraction from Fantasyland, It's a Small World. We will also hand over to you, as usual, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. And once again, we've got bags and bags full. If it was old-fashioned snail mail, then we would have uh, a few sacks full of feedback, wouldn't we, Simon? Oh, we certainly would. Lots of long, long bits of feedback. Yeah, it's a good thing it is digital, because it would have cost us loads to get that sent through the post. And we don't want to have to uh, force you to pay your own hard-earned cash to get us to do this. It's a Small World, we had a vote, it was against It's a Small World and Peter Pan's Flight and I can't remember the exact results now, this is bad of me, but it was something like 70% or 30% for It's a Small World. Quite a heavy victory really for It's it, a Small World. It is, uh, I, f- I felt bad for, Pir- uh, for Pirates of the Caribbean, I felt bad for Peter Pan's Flight every time I had to put a score down for It's a Small World, um, but I'm sure we'll come back to it again as we will probably run out of attractions to talk about in about two years time. <laughs> <laughs> Switch to Small World. We'll start off with a bit of history, as we always do. We'll go through scene by scene. We'll look at the technology that's used. We'll look at what it currently is like at the moment, having just uh, rode the attraction in the last couple of months. Uh, we'll discuss what will happen in the future, and we'll then dip right into your uh, feedback and opinions. So, history. Obviously, it's a Small World is one of the oldest attractions for Disneyland Disney World and Disneyland Paris and Disneyland Tokyo and everywhere, every Disney property has an It's a Small World. The best resource I found to help explain the history of the attraction was from the actual Disneyland Paris official website itself, so there's no point in uh, rewriting what's already been written millions of times before. So Simon, do you want to take us through how It's a Small World came about? I would love to. So it's it's got quite a nice beginning really. Um, wasn't actually created for the original Disneyland. It was created for a New York World Fair uh, by Walt Disney, and it was actually in support of UNICEF, which I didn't know before starting this research. So that was uh, 1964, 65. But the attraction was such a massive success that uh, I suppose when the fair ended, they thought, well, actually, you know what, let's dismantle it and then rebuild it at Disneyland Park in California. And then that opened in 1966. Yeah, and going back, as we always do, to other attractions in the resort, in Disneyland, in California, and anywhere else in the world currently, Pirates of the Caribbean probably wouldn't have existed as it is today if it wasn't because of this It's a Small World attraction from 1964. Now, we did cover this very briefly in the Pirates of the Caribbean podcast, but originally Pirates of the Caribbean was going to be a walkthrough from a few of the videos I've watched about the history of It's a Small World, if I remember rightly, a similar kind of walkthrough was going to be looked at for It's a Small World. 
but then they decided to go through this river system with the boats and that's when they decided when they were creating and designing in Walt Disney Imagineering Pirates of the Caribbean they said wait a minute it's working so well for it's a small world currently we're going to put it in and it's not going to be a walk around anymore it's going to be a, a sit down boat ride it's amazing what you find out the world the world of Disneyland and the Imagineers is so fascinating you definitely need to get some of the many books that are available Moving on, Walt Disney selected Mary Blair as the art director and Alan Davis as the costume designer to bring It's a Small World to Life. We'll be discussing the uh, Mary Blair effect later on in the podcast. She was famous for a distinctive use of colour and the geometric shapes, which you'll see on the outside of all of the attractions. Childlike art, simple style. She was known for the visual aesthetic and how it felt in every aspect. It's supposed to look at every nation of It's a Small World, and as she was going through... The many scenes, there's different colours of all the bold hues. It vividly creates collages of some of the world's most beloved countries, giving you the impression of sailing through a classic children's book. It definitely gives you that feel, doesn't it, Simon? Well, it certainly does. And the other thing, obviously, to pick out there is, of course, that you know this was made in the 1960s, and you can really see with those, you know, those big bold colours that it's, it's definitely a vibrant 60s feel to it, and that you know that's still loved today. It is, and again, a dark ride. Obviously, because it's in the dark, it only works if you've got, if it's supposed to be a colourful, happy place, if you've got bright, vivid colours. Because if you had it dark and gloomy, it could just be like a haunted mansion or Phantom Manor type attraction. We don't want that. So, what they've done is they've used all the bright colours. It's well lit. It uses neon, it uses all sorts of different technology to bring the colours to life. It just works so well. And it must be such a difficult job to work as a lighting director and to work as the costumer as well because of the dark ride element, they've got to work so well together, haven't they? Well, they certainly do, yeah. It's not a job that I want. <laughs> Luckily, no one's offering it to you. <laughs> also very true. Yeah. When they were designing the attire as well for the original uh, Disneyland California version, or the uh, World's Fair version of It's a Small World, Mark Davis and his seamstress... Oh, sorry, Alice is the seamstress, and her husband helped as well. They gathered and sewed every inch of the clothing to create a faithful portrayal of each nation's traditional attire, uh, which actually works out at around 300 outfits in all. They also, which is amazing for me, how much detail they put into their attractions. They, are, they actually used authentic materials uh, from each of the regions. So they used silks from India and fine wool for the Scottish bagpiper. It's that, it's that kind of detail that we love, isn't it? That's... That's why we go on these attractions. That's why we adore them so much. That's what makes it stand out. What also makes it interesting for me is that a lot of the people or general guests that are on there, on the attraction, they won't know these little facts which you do now know. And it's just it's what makes it different and makes it rideable again and again and again because you find new facts out. You find new elements of the history of the ride or the attraction. And it's kind of, yeah, it makes it rideable. A big point to make when discussing the history of It's a Small World is the song. The song was written and composed by Academy Award-winning brothers, the Sherman Brothers. Disney's song It's a Small World is a timeless classic. So the idea is, originally, uh, Walt Disney envisioned that the world's children in the attraction were singing their national anthem from each country. But when they were testing it out, it, it was quick to discover that everyone singing a different tune, different speeds, different languages. When you put that together as you went through the attraction, it just did not work. So Walt Disney approached the uh, Sherman Brothers, who were at hand already anyway, working on Mary Poppins. Johnny made a couple of famous songs there. Nothing too <laughs> good, good to shout about. Obviously, I'm joking. So he asked them to create a single song that could be used in the attraction and they could sing the different languages and you wouldn't even notice the seams as you were going through the attraction. For a lot of people me included, it's uh, probably one of the biggest pluses for the attraction, is that song. I think so. Just before we started filming this, well, recording this, I suppose, uh, I did a little Twitter poll to see what people thought about the attraction and the song behind it, because the song can can be a little bit annoying, should we say. Um, and definitely, I think everyone has that moment where they go, God, this is, it's beginning to grate me, I'm not going to lie. Um, but largely, you know, we do all love it. And certainly first go round, we love it. Second go round, we probably still love it. Third go round, maybe in one day, might start to make our ears bleed a little bit. But uh, it's definitely a loved song. 
Yeah, Discovery Arcade on Twitter said, it's annoying if you listen to it too much, but apart from that, it's a great piece of music. NIDLP Geek's initial reaction was probably the best of the best reply of that tweet. His was, ah, bugger, forgot to email my thoughts in. Oh, well. <laughs> but it's okay, because we've got them in time. We have, we've given the time to do that. Martin Walker uh, said that it's amazing, though the Christmas version grates me after being stood waiting to see the Frozen Sisters for three hours. Three hours, my God. And that was on the loop. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get to do a podcast about meeting the Frozen Sisters, because I know that I definitely wouldn't wait for three hours. No, nor would I. Anyway, back to It's a Small World. Yes, anyway. There's a few more. What did Cafe Fantasia say? Oh, there's a great answer to that question. In the interview I did with Glenn Roven. Now, this is something we wanted to discuss. It was another lovely quote from Cafe Fantasia. Cafe Fantasia always comes out with the best quotes. That's undeniable. And uh, we have the quote here from uh, Glenn, which says, and I've just lost it, where has it gone? Here it is, I've got it back. Yay. Imagine being able to write a song that's so damn memorable that it's annoying. That song wasn't written. It was dictated from God. And there's something so true about that. It is. It's just There must become a point where you kind of, it just happens, and afterwards the person, the songwriter, will not remember what they were doing or how they came up with that because they can never repeat it. They can no. never do anything as memorable or as annoying as it says there again. Um, so it's just something that just happens. But it's amazing how it does. It has happened, and it's one of the most popular songs for an and attraction. And 50 years on, we still love it. And find it annoying. We do. There's so many parodies of the song have happened as well. The Simpsons have had a parody version for one of their episodes. You know you've made it big when the Simpsons are mocking you. Maybe a few years ago, it's starting to go downhill a little bit now. Sorry for any Simpsons fans out there. (laughs) There's so many more that I can't remember any of them. That's how popular it is. So yeah, they've had to add languages in such as French, Italian, Japanese, Spanish, English and Arabic, name a few. Yeah, the Sherman Brothers decided that even though Walt Disney had said, look, I want you to come in and make one song, the Sherman Brothers came to the conclusion that a single musical theme was the way to bring the song together. So obviously the national anthems from all the different countries, all the different parts, some of them are drums, some of them are trumpet, some of them are piano, some of them are operatic, they just them kind of styles do not mix together very well. It moves us swiftly on and nicely on to the Disneyland Paris version, which you've actually mentioned a couple of times anyway. So in 1992, It's a Small World was recreated to become an opening day attraction at Disneyland Paris, with an additional scene representing the North America continent, probably um, due to the fact that this was, wasn't the first one outside of America, but being on Europe, and America being so popular, maybe not in France, but to a lot of people around Europe. Um, and, of course, the fact that it's designed by Americans. And, yeah, they wanted to put their home countries in there as well. So they've got the uh, special edition of the American continent. Due to the immense popularity, the attraction has been replicated everywhere else, um, and it's considered a Walt Disney classic. And I think that's very correct. It is. And, again, when I tweeted out about how many times people visit It's a Small World during the visit, I I was actually quite uh, pleasantly surprised, really, because I normally do it... Well, this time on my last visit, um, when I visited Disneyland Paris with the Six Formers, I managed to ride it two times in two days, which is not... For me, that's really good. Normally, I would do it once, if sometimes none at all. It is a wall. It is a classic. And if I'm walking past and I haven't done it and the queue is not too long, I will jump on. But if there is a queue, it's one of the attractions that I would say, right, I've done it a few times before, I'll just move on. But yeah, this time I was there with Jeff from DLP Town Square. And because of the podcast that we were recording this episode, even though it's been a long time since I visited in early March, I was using it for research purposes. But a lot of people asked, the question was, how many times do you ride It's a Small World during your visit? Uh, Martin Walker said with his, when it's with his son at least once a day usually a lot more uh, Haley Walker that's the son's mother I don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many times we ride Small World our son loves it DLP photos one or two usually uh, I said I'd done it normally once per visit and then uh, Martin said research yeah I believe you Week. so he's obviously thinking I go on it all the time well I have to add to that actually that, uh, go on Mark, we had visited uh 
Paris with my nan a couple of times. We went once, I think it was for her 85th birthday. Oh, she absolutely adored the attraction and we managed to go on it, I think it was four times in one day with her. That's got to be she, a record. She really loved it. So I've been on this attraction quite a few times, but uh, normally we'd, we'd probably only go on it once across a whole visit. Yeah, well, I think, it's, well, again, it's quite the uh, Walt Disney classic. You need to visit it at least once a year. Um, some people are there more than uh, once a year, so that's why I say once a year. Because last year, when I was lucky enough to get there uh, for two visits, I'd done it on one of the visits, not the second one. So I would say once a year is my um, normality. Cafe Fantasia, once is enough. Of course, as you well know, Disneyland Paris is now all about parades and characters. Rides, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> we can always trust Cafe Fantasia to keep us smiling. You certainly can. Right, moving on. We need to keep moving, keep this train rolling, or should I say boat. Keep this boat, keep this boat rowing. Rowing, yeah, that, we'll say that instead. Let's go on to what the current attraction in Disneyland Paris is like. Now, we're going to go through the, the scenes, scene by scene. We'll try not to discuss them in too much detail. There's videos out there, um, and I'll, most people in listening to this podcast will probably have watched or have been on the attraction. So as soon as you set off, um, you're in the little tunnel that goes straight into the attraction. You've got the nice little pictures there lit up with the neon lights just kind of adds a little bit of atmosphere to the attraction before you get there. I do believe at this point you're going underneath the railroad, am I correct to say? Um, yes, I would believe that's right. So if, you, if you're quiet and the song's not doing your head in, you might hear the, uh, the, tra- the train going over the top. The first thing you see on the left is the little leprechauns as we're in uh, the British Isles and Scandinavia area. A little uh, story for you. On my last attraction um, visit to It's a Small World, on one of the... Uh, Unicorns. There was a sticker uh, that said something about the mafia. Um, we were going too, We were going too quick for me and Jeff to see it, but I remember seeing the words mafia, and it was basically just vandalism. Uh, it wasn't nice at all. So yeah, you got London Bridge, and you got Big Ben spinning. The clocks are spinning on Big Ben. You got the uh, the, the wheels spinning on the bus. Yeah, you got the well, buses going, going around Tower Bridge, and the little drummers from the Queen's band there. Again, it's going. It, it, the, the attraction does go quite quickly. So once you've gone through that, um, you then get to Western Europe, uh, and you'll see the Eiffel Tower. There's uh, the windmills and the tulips from Holland, um, bouncing up and down, waving their clogs about. Not stereotypical at all. Um, <laughs> Under the bridge, and I think we're moving east now. We are going quickly into Eastern Europe. We've got trains. We've got some nice buildings. We've got people uh, wearing lederhosen. Um, people at a bridge, gently swaying, singing Heading into the small world. into Italy now. Actually, I think we're past Italy. I think we found Russia now. As you can tell, fans, we are watching a video as we do this, so it's kind of like a commentary, and you wouldn't want us commentating on a football match. No, we're really bad at this, I now realise. And because we've given the game away, we can make a joke out of it. Right, on the left-hand side, we've got some people bowing. We look like we are now in uh, the Middle East. No, no, uh, we're in Asia. We're Japan. We're in Asia. We've moved on. We're in Asia. <laughs> this is like a geography lesson, and I'm failing miserably. Nice little touch that uh, I didn't notice until watching this video, is that, of course, there's kites flying above you in the yeah. Japanese sea. Now, I heard a rumour that there was a sun and a moon in every single scene, but when I was there with Jeff, we tried to find them, and I couldn't find... Um, a sun and a moon in every single one. Maybe I wasn't looking uh, well enough. So if somebody knows the answer to this question, is there a sun and a moon in every single scene of It's a Small World? Answers on a postcard, please. Um, well, that could be our challenge for this podcast. It can be. Challenge? I think we're in Africa. Wait a minute. There's a camel. Oh, have we got some uh, zebras? Oh, wait a minute. Yep, there's we're rhino. In the jungle now. We're in the we jungle. The animals. Got the animals playing drums here. There's a man's ball. More things hanging from the ceiling. You've got monkeys swinging above you on vines. Uh, hippos ears spinning around. Nice little merry-go-round. Frogs on lily pads. Eyes bubbling. Again, when you look at the video like this and you think back to when you're there, the colours are so vivid. The night, the bright greens. You've got the uh, the browns there, though, and the blues that stand out so well. Going back, actually, just just for a moment to our discussion of the suns and the moons. Does anyone know when... I suppose, what time of day any of these are set. I can see one sun there, just above the temple, actually. But yes, because you sort of, you ride it and you've got the black ceiling above you, so it 
sort of feels like night time because you've also got all the lights, but I get the feeling that it's probably not night time. No, because a lot of these animals, a lot of these people would probably be in bed. I would think so, and it would be a very different ride. There's a sun. So yeah, we're kind of in the Aztec area. We're going through the cactus playing the guitar. Uh, it looks like we're now coming through to South America. Well, I would hope that's No, it. I think we no. might be moving across to the North American scene now. Oh, we went we went all the way through that. There's a saloon. Yeah, we missed all that out. Yeah, because I can see uh, I can see the not the Eiffel Tower, which you call Statue of Liberty. I think you do have to say that the North American scene is quite large. Considering most most individual countries tend to get sort of a corner, corner, yeah. you know, one you know two D facade that you'll go past. Whereas North America has has a lot of them to represent effectively just the USA. Yeah, the Golden Gate Bridge and the American football are there. And now we go under the Golden Gate Bridge, we go under the Hollywood sign, and we come out into the glorious Golden Fairground. Now this is probably. Well, from when I've, when I've ridden the attraction with a few different people, this is probably the favourite scene of most people. I remember when my son, who was still, well, he was one and a half years old at the time, his face just, even though it was a picture all the way around, his face lit up when he seen all the sparkly lights and it was so bright. Um, it's definitely it, a nice conclusion, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, nice it's like magical. a film where it all comes together at the end and it's, it's the grand finale. Yeah, and Disneyland Paris they describe it as the um, it, it, it's the scene that reminds us of the common bond of friendship, laughter, and happiness that the world, that the children, and the people of the world share. Um, and it's when we realise that we are basically all just the same. It's a lovely sentiment, really, isn't it? It is, and something. Um, it's probably an email that we've received, and I'm going to jump the gun again. But the pictures at the end, as you're coming out of the to small world attraction, as you leave for the station, the pictures on the side. Uh, the, the, the children from the different scenes, different countries, mixing up, holding hands. Going back again, just a minute. You like jumping forward, I like jumping backwards. The final scene, is that meant to be Disneyland itself? Because it's it's definitely a sort of fairground scene. There's a sort of a roller coaster in the background. There's a Ferris wheel going around. Is it a sort of meta commentary on the fact that Disneyland is supposed to be for everyone? I would like to think that's true, although they don't have a Ferris wheel in the Disneyland Paris, but they do in Disneyland California, I think it is. Yeah, Disney California Adventure certainly has a yeah. big one. Yeah, because they've got the rocking uh, boat, haven't they, with the big wheel, so it could be like the Mark Twain, and they've got the... Uh, what else have they got in there? Yeah, there's like Ferris wheels and everything, so yeah. I've never, I've never heard anyone suggest that it is Disneyland before, um, but it's always sort of hit me that it's feels a bit like a theme park you're in a theme park maybe maybe it's a self-commentary i don't know it would be a little bit arrogant i'll be perfectly honest if it is <laughs> um, but perhaps it is well our official stance on that is that magical dlp would like to suggest that that is supposed to represent disneyland paris or disney world or wherever we are that's supposed to represent a disney property there we go it's on record we've said it oh there it is it's got concrete now this is serious it's concreted in there. We can't dig it up. Yeah, technology. Again, it's quite simple what they've done. They've got the uh, boat system, which has been used for quite a number of years now. Well, it's been used for 50 years or more. There's a lot of love boats that are from the old theme parks and amusement parks that used to use this kind of system. The, the boat does just float around, and the wheels get knocked on the side, and I'm sure there's other wheels that kind of kick it and keep making it move forward. And then when you get to the station, you've got the little belt that picks up the boat and staggers it slowly towards the station. On technology, the one thing you have missed there is uh, it's not just wheels that propel it along. Certainly the boats don't have any sort of... they're not self-powered. Um, it's little jets of water. Little jets, lots of little jets that just keep the flow going and then it pushes the boats onwards. And, it kind and of... I would assume a few wheels underneath the boat as well. Oh, yeah. The... It catches on and it pushes it along. Yeah, because you don't want to be... Uh... Stopping the flow of water and all of a sudden just coming to a halt. No, you certainly don't. Uh, it needs to be a continuous uh, attraction. You don't want anyone stopping. Well, certainly not. Um, although, mind you, actually, it would be quite nice to stop in some places so that you could actually take it all in. Well, yeah, I mean, we've just we've just sat through the whole attraction and proved very well that you cannot take it in in one go, and you certainly cannot explain it as it's happening. Well, no, because I had the um, the idea to take a microphone on the attraction it never happened and thinking about it now I'm glad it didn't because my idea was to sit on the attraction and commentate what I was hap what was happening and narrate the attraction if I was sat behind you in the boat where you did that I would have actually thrown you out of the boat 
you would have been swimming for the rest of the attraction. Well, that would have meant I had more time to talk about each scene because, like we just said, it, it takes you, well, the attraction's maybe four minutes, five minutes long, and it takes you about five minutes to describe the first scene. There's so much happening. It does, and that's that's why you go on it again because every time you go on it, you see something different. You know, there's there are so many things. It's such a simple idea with just the two D sets and the dolls, but you know the detail on all of the costumes that the dolls have, and then the little bits of two D set that you didn't quite realise because they're sort of tucked behind another bit of set, so you have to be in the right place to see them. Maybe you've only got like ten seconds to look in the right direction and actually see something. You have to go on it a lot of times to be able to do that. That's true. We should make another competition. Um, there's not a prize yet. Um, possibly in the future we'll think of some prizes. But the competition should be... Well, no, it's not really a competition. It's more of a challenge. You should, you should definitely ride the attraction twice. The first time you only look out of the left, as long as you're sitting on the left-hand side of the boat. And the next time make sure you're sitting on the right-hand side of the boat and just look out to the right. Um, because one of the things you do on this attraction is you're looking around, you're looking up, you're looking sideways, back forward, back forward. And you do miss quite a lot just by turning to see something else on the other side. So it would be quite a good um, idea um, for somebody to try it out. And some of our listeners can do this and see if it helps. Look at one side for one attraction ride and then try it again looking to the other side. And see if that helps in any way. I might try that next time I'm there. There we go. Uh, current state of the attraction. Uh, when I was there in March, I must say my initial reaction stepping off the ride or the attraction was this is negative all of my opinions were negative but then again now just watching this video uh, which is actually from 2010 so it's a few years old now watching this video has kind of brought why I wanted to go on the attraction in the first place it's kind of oh, so colourful and the fact yeah audio animatronics are moving so well but my opinion from the visit in March there was quite a lot of animatronics that weren't moving at all there was a lot that were kind of moving I remember there was one in the I can't remember which scene it was now. It could have been the African one. Uh, she was like laying down. Her head was resting on her hands. And her eye was winking comp- like, really fast. And it shouldn't have been. I think it was supposed to be a blink. But it, it was just one eye was completely open. One eye was blinking really, really fast. And it looked like she was possessed. That sounds okay. terrifying. It was very scary. Well, doll doing that. Oh, God. It was, it was really scary. Um, there were some dolls that were obviously missing. So there was some of the bits where, the, where they were dancing and kicking the legs out that was like two or three dolls missing. There was lights not working. Um, now, I know in some of the scenes, because of the Christmas uh, layout or the layover that they do um, for the Christmas attraction version, there are, there are some lights in there that aren't turned on. just saves them time so you don't have to take them out and replace them every single time uh, it comes to Christmas season. Uh, but it does add again to the fact that it looks like not everything's working. So you it, mentioned earlier that uh, you've got some animatronics missing, some animatronics just not moving. It it really does sort of take the life out of it when those dolls aren't moving. You know, even if it's just a, you know, a moose or something with a ear that twists around or something like that. It's those little touches of movement everywhere that really make the attraction feel alive. You know, you're not going through some static world. You're going through a world that's full of vibrant life, and that's that that really gives the attraction its it's vibrancy. It does. And um, I felt, because I actually felt bad being so negative when I came off the attraction. Now, Jeff wasn't as totally negative as I was uh, when we stepped off the attraction, but he's, he did agree with a lot of the stuff I mentioned. But thinking about it on the walk back to the hotel at the end of the day, I was thinking, well, I've been look, I've been on that attraction a couple of times in one day looking for, not looking for errors, but looking for things to talk about. So it was, I think, in my brain, it was more obvious to me when something was going wrong because I knew what it should have been like when it was working. So just, again, I'm going to use the term normal guest. When a normal guest rides the attraction, either for the first time or for the second or third time, they're, if they're not looking out for errors and they're just wanting to have a magical time, then I don't think they're going to see as many issues with the attraction. They'll still notice if things are standing there and they're obviously not working than they should have been. But they'll also... The carpets of some of the like scenes, they just needed a hoover. It was just something as simple as that, and hopefully if and when they start to refurb this attraction, then that's something they'll focus on. Um, and is it on that note time to move on to the future? Yes. Because, uh, well, this is of course only rumoured, um, but the rumours do suggest, and I would think that they're probably quite correct, 
that uh, in July, It's a Small World will close for a full refurbishment. Uh, should open again in December, that's 2015. Um, so good, good half year refurbishment. Same as uh, Space Mountain Mission 2 is getting at the minute. Uh, Phantom Manor just had a little refurbishment. They're all gearing up for 2017, which is Disneyland Paris' 25th anniversary. Um, they're not really changing any of the attractions, as we can see so far. But what they are doing is giving them sort of a new lease of life. They're making sure that everything is working properly. General refresh, I think, is the term that Disneyland Paris themselves have actually used. So it might be sort of just sort of updating the lighting so it's LED and it's more reliable, it's more yeah. energy efficient, and it's hopefully nicer as well. Um, I don't think we're really expecting to see any changes, but we have seen on Twitter... Uh, from our good friend at Inside DL Paris, a photo from the back of the parade gate next to It's a Small World that has the It's a Small World theming. And on the back of that, they've been testing a new colour scheme uh, for It's a Small World that is much bolder, much brighter, more contrasting colours. Um, if you look at the facade of It's a Small World at the minute, they are bold colours, but they're sort of faded, they're they're quite subtle. Um Whereas in the 1960s, when the original uh, traction was around, the co- the colours were a lot bolder. There was a lot more contrast. You know, the blues were much richer. There, no colours were faded. It was very 60s, as we said earlier. So it looks like they were testing that uh, for potentially those big bold colours to make a comeback. That would be nice, yeah. The uh, the clock on the outside as well wasn't working properly uh, while I was there as well. So it was kind of you could hear something ticking, but there was nothing. If you if you, if you were just new to the park, you'd wonder what the ticking was because there was no clock of vis- like, no clock visible. Which actually is a good time to also mention, which we didn't before. Little fact: uh, every fifteen minutes, the clock tower goes off, and the dolls come out of the clock tower, do a little parade, and then come back in every fifteen minutes. So if you're around at a uh, quarter past, half past, or on the hour, then have a look out for that. Yeah, nice little uh, tidbit there. The um, With regards to the refresh, I think it's probably best that it is called refresh, because that's the kind of... The, obviously, we've got nothing official, but from what, like you just said, from what we've seen, it looks like most of the attractions are getting a bit um, of a refresh before the uh, 25th anniversary. And it definitely needs one. The outside needs one. The inside, again... Definitely the, needs one. It definitely needs one. Now, I... I am happy leaving it exactly as it is in regards to what it should have been like originally. So if every single animatronic was working in its original place and all of the lighting was available, then that is what I want to see. I think I'd agree with you there. And when we move on later onto the listeners' opinions, uh, I've read those and I can tell you that they agree with you. Good. So they should. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because I don't want to steal what uh, somebody else is going to say, but other parks haven't just left it alone as from the original hasn't drastically changed it that much but it could have changed it so it's not as original as it was i have no idea what i was trying to say there so when was the uh, it was july to december wasn't it july to december this the, year 2015 the, the rumored uh, refresh is going to be now as we always mention on every single podcast and we still haven't had a penny from any of the projection mapping companies yet but how could we if we were going to and we didn't want to change much on the attraction but how could we include projection mapping in this attraction somewhere well projection mapping is our favorite uh, you know technology in the world ever that has ever existed forget the wheel forget bread anything this is much better um can i just interject there that's a great quote that we can use for a poster forget the wheel forget bread it's all about projection mapping oh we need to go into branding don't we we'd be fantastic there we go coming to a shop near you soon on saying that though i have absolutely no idea where you use projection mapping here because they're all 2d sets um which sort of removes the use of projection mapping at all i suppose you could projection map onto like sort of the faces of the dolls because they're uh, 3d there is that. Now, one thing I was thinking about when I um, try to uh, list some ideas for projection mapping, um, it's not mentioned in any of the opinions that we've had today, but in recent discussions on Twitter, uh, via email, um, and from listening to other podcasts, the ceiling is 
causing a bit of a problem or an issue to some guests and some fans? That's a good point, actually. We haven't mentioned that. That's my only criticism of the ride, is the ceiling. Do you, want to, do you want to explain your criticism then, and I'll see if it adds up to what I'm going to say. Well, yeah. Um, basically, it's slightly too light in the attraction, and you can see the roof, and there is no theming on the roof. It's just a warehouse ceiling, yeah, and the, it's quite ugly. The painted it blue, so it's trying to look like some kind of sky. Yeah. But then, say, if you're in parts of the Caribbean or something... A lot of that attraction, you've got a roof a lot nearer to your heads, but can you see it? No, no, you can't. If you look above you, it's just blackness. Yeah, um, and... and almost everything else, actually. When can you ever see a ceiling in Disneyland? You can't normally. No, um, is, is that because it's a problem? Is that because other attractions have hidden the lighting better? Because it seems to be um, when you go through, it's a small world. One of the reasons you can see um, the ceiling so like vividly is the fact that there's so many lights and panels and grates and there's light shining through everything so it kind of highlights the fact that there is a ceiling there now i've no idea how i would get around that with projection mapping but if you could have some kind of different panels at different levels because they have put some clouds in the sky area um, above it's whether you could put more clouds in and then hide led lights behind those clouds because of course it's all 2d sets so I'm wondering if there's some way of projecting, projecting something, I don't know if it's back projected and the clouds are more see-through, and it, I don't know, if, even if you could just make the whole ceiling, if you could get, get rid of the lights in the ceiling, I'm sure there's a way of doing it so they can be hidden in the sets or in the scenes themselves, um, and so have like individual lighting for each scene. I know you need emergency lighting, but again, I'm sure you could incorporate that. But I'm sure if there was some way of having some kind of canvas in the ceiling. I know a lot of hotels in Las Vegas during the evening. It could be 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, pitch black outside. But you would believe that it was daylight because they've... It's not. I think it's an LED screen, the one I've seen. But they've basically just got clouds and blue sky on a video. And occasionally an aeroplane <laughs> flies over. Um, and you do believe that you are actually outside. So... They, could they use projection, maybe not the map inside, but could they do something with the scene to make it look more like a ceiling? Sorry, not more like a, more like a ceiling, more like a, like a cloudy sky, nice blue cloudy sky. You could then have sunrises, sunsets. You could do so much with it. You certainly could. I hadn't thought of that, actually. Um, I'll be honest, the only thing I thought about the roof was just try and cover it with some black material so that you can't see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you could definitely. The only worry with that would be that, of course... Uh, much of the beauty of this attraction is just how simple it is you know largely the sets don't move um so if you did start having movement in some sort of projection system i don't know whether that would start taking away from it you know it's a very cartoon feel that it has and you uh, i mean if you took that away from it you'd you'd take its soul out i think you would I i can categorically say now that i don't want to change or add any projection mapping to any of the scenes or the dolls um, a couple However, of I... we do still love projection mapping. Oh, yeah. Just um, not, which, maybe not here. Which is why I think if they can do it in in the ceiling, which is where there's an area for improvement, then I'm happy with that because it kind of adds something else to it and takes away a negative part of it. Yeah, I think what we've just done here is 10 minutes on a topic which was fairly irrelevant to the attraction that we're talking about purely because we love the technology involved in projection mapping. It's our show, nobody minds. Fantastic. Now it's time for an advert. For you, the listeners of Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Audible, if you're not sure, is where you can download audiobooks. And as you're listening to our podcast, you might be keen to hear some of the books that they've got available. Currently in Audible, they have some amazing books related to Disney, such as How to Be Like Walt Disney. That book retails at £20, and with this offer that we're offering you, you could actually get that for free. To download your free audiobook today, all you need to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash magical DLP. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash magical DLP. To spell Audible, it's A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com. All you need to do is sign up, help us out. Thank you. Right over to our listener opinions. We've had lots of glorious emails again from our brilliant fans. We've got some from NIDLP Geek, got Cafe Fantasia, and many more. And as usual, we are not disappointed. They are essays again. They are fantastically long novels of comments, and we love it. We're going to paraphrase you, I'm sorry. Um... But, yes, it's it's probably our favourite part of doing these podcasts, and I know you guys enjoy 
uh, writing into us as well and having your opinions uh, shared with the world. And then pulled apart. <laughs> not always. Sometimes we agree. No, normally in a good way. Normally in a good way. So do you want to start us off with NIDLP Geek? I would love to start us off uh, with NIDLP, uh, who sent us in a nice novel from email. Uh, he said that uh, he had written this text initially uh, after just being at Disneyland, so it was just a few hours after last experiencing the attraction for real, uh, and he noted down his thoughts and he sent them to us now. Uh, so he says, well, we'll start off with the queue line, um, where you get some great views of Fantyland when you reach the tallest point. Now, I hadn't thought about this before, so I found this quite interesting to read. Uh, he said that just before you get to the turnstiles, if you look out over Fantyland, you can also see the parts of the Caribbean Castle, you can see all of Fantyland, and he said that's his favourite aspect of the queue. Uh, and also, you get, on the rare occasions, see a train going past the It's a Small World facade, uh, which he thinks is a beautiful homage to the history of Disneyland as a concept by combining an iconic attraction during Walt's time and one of his favourites. And I think NIDLP Geek is absolutely bang on the money to say that. I love the fact that you've got that facade, uh, but that facade sort of comes to life when the train rolls through. He does, yeah. It, um, and like you said, it links back to the uh, iconic attraction during Walt's time because that's how Walt wanted it. He loved trains. And he was obviously in love with It's a Small World when it was installed into the park. So it kind of takes you back 50 years, if not more, to what the original Disneyland would have been like. He goes on to say, for the main show itself, he's sure that me and Simon already went into great detail discussing each room. Well, we tried to. We anyway. tried, didn't we? We tried so hard. It was moving so quickly by that you might have to watch a couple of videos yourself and do your own podcast for that bit. But um, we tried our best. <laughs> He said, the moment you're brought into the show building, you are brought into a visual and colourful feast of beautiful props and animatronics. It shows how creative and imaginative uh, Walt Disney Imagineers are, which is why it's in the name, Imagineers. Most of the countries seem to blend in well. Uh, for our liking, they blend in too well, because we didn't know when one country started and another country ended. Um, again, because it was going so fast, and just how because of how much um, stuff there is in each scene. One scene he loves, and this is where I got it from before, uh, he loves the exit room with the pictures of each country's children hand in hand offering tokens. I didn't mention this, they're offering tokens from their homeland. So if again, if you get time to watch uh, a video or when you're on the attraction next, look at the videos in the last scene. They're actually holding little gifts that are linked to their homeland um, and passing them on to somebody else from a different place. He says, a very inspirational and significant piece when looking at the attraction as a political message to the rest of the world. As for the song, he doesn't think anything else can be said about it other than it's one of the best, catchiest and inspiring songs the Sherman Brothers ever wrote. We always had to talk about the future. He mentions that similar to Phantom Manor, which he absolutely loves, uh, it should be maintained to keep its classic heritage, which we've both agreed on, apart from maybe changing the ceiling. Um, several years ago, the small world of Disneyland in Anaheim received an update which saw Disney characters such as Peter Pan, Ariel, Pinocchio and Stitch added to the attraction, replacing some of the older dolls. While he doesn't see these updates as too intruding into the main theme, as they do blend well in together, um... He doesn't think it's uh, necessary and the attraction's classic look and message speaks volumes by itself. Definitely agree there that I don't think I would like to see the Disney characters put in there. No, I don't think I would either. In fact, I personally don't really like to see them around anywhere too much. But nonetheless, you know, they're not... It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they uh, turned up and it's a small world, particularly if the style in which the models of them turn up are in that sort of nice doll 2D uh, cartoony style I think they could definitely fit in there nicely in fact it might be quite fun actually if they're you know they're in the same style to sort of look through and go oh there we are there's Stitch there's oh there's Pinocchio I don't know what style they've done in uh, Anaheim but it could be fun actually it could be they could now this is just me thinking of the top of my head um, as we go into the future um, now, I'm not going to say smartphones because I don't want to use smartphones on this attraction or any attraction, but could they do some kind of paper-based, I don't know, checklist or spot, like spot a certain item competition? Could each guest, again, it costs loads of money and probably make loads of rubbish, so it's a totally bad idea, but the idea is could um, children and parents be given a checklist 
kind of like a little treasure hunt where you've got to sit in the board and try and tick off certain characters that you've seen or could there be little secret hidden messages that you need to put a message together at the end and if you get the message you win a prize or it, it could be it could change every so many it could change every year it could change every month just to make it a bit different and a bit more interactive possibly I would think you could probably do that already. I mean, it's a bit—it's a bit like a sort of, uh, you know, the old uh, "Where's Wally" things, where you'd you go through and you circle all the different things that they give you a checklist, and you have to yeah. circle all the different things you find. You could already do that. To be honest, there's so much in the attraction. I don't think you need uh, it's sort of Disney franchises. If you, if you wanted to do that idea, you could go straight away with it right now. Right. Let's uh, see if anybody out there wants to create a checklist, and we'll take it to the park next time, and we'll 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 can have a little competition. I think, I think that sounds quite fun. But I've no idea how you could uh, work out if it's true or not, because I could say, yep, I just found all of those suns and moons, but I didn't really. Oh, but it's it's Disneyland, isn't it? You can't lie, you can't be evil or sinister. But when it comes to a competition, there's always cheats in the world. <laughs> Moving on, Cafe Fantasia, another one, it goes over two pages. It's actually split into three massive sections, but we love it. Um, personally, he thinks it's a timeless classic. It doesn't need anything new, um, and it just it just kind of shot down what I've just said there. It doesn't need no interactive gimmicks. No interactive gimmicks what at it all. Says there. Um, so he must have been able to predict the future. I bet he was thinking, right? Andrew's going to say we want to do something interactive, but he shot me right down. No matter how the world changes, the attraction's message of culture, oh sorry, cultural unity and harmony will always be relevant, which is very true. Uh, there are definitely maintenance issues that needs to be addressing. Uh, sorry, that needs to be addressed. So, what he thinks uh, Disney should do is the following: fix all of the dolls and figures so that everyone works and moves as designed. I like this voice. Fix the audio so that everything is perfectly in sync again as designed. And beyond that, to freshen things up, totally repaint everything inside the attraction using a bolder color palette inspired by the 1964 original. Totally change the lighting in the attraction so that the distracting warehouse ceiling is no longer visible. Ah, yes, there we are. That's We've where I that. found it. That's where yes. I heard it from. It's very true. Um, what Cafe Fantasia goes on to talk about next is, I think, quite interesting. Um, but equally as Cafe Fantasia sort of shoots it down, I'd quite like to as well. Uh, he says, uh, if you do go down the interactive sort of next gen route... Uh, then what has been battered around a bit, I've certainly heard it being uh, battered around on Twitter, is this idea that using your smartphone, you could maybe design one of your own dolls or something, um, and then when you go on the attraction, you then see that doll appearing in the attraction. It's a bit like sort of um, uh, Test Track at uh, Epcot, Walt Disney World. Uh, you, When you're in the queue, you design your test car, and then as you're on the attraction, it gives you rankings for how well your test car did in each uh, little test scenario. So it's sort of something like that. So it wouldn't be completely alien uh, to Disney. However, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I would really not like the idea of anyone just sort of jumping in and taking over the design role behind It's a Small World. No, I, don't, I definitely wouldn't like that. Because obviously they would vet it and it would all be like checked and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just no. I think the answer is just no. There was uh, there was an interesting uh, debate in the tech world, slightly different, uh, between Motorola and Jonathan Ive, who's the uh, design chief at Apple. Uh, and the debate was centered around the fact that when you buy an iPhone, you buy an iPhone. You know, there's no customizability with it at all. Uh, whereas when you buy a Motorola. Uh, you can choose a different back. You could get like a wood effect back or whatever. Um, and Jonathan I've said, now Motorola have got it wrong here because what they're doing is they're negating their role as designers and trying to give it to the consumer, whereas a good designer should be leading the way and they should be coming up with a perfect seamless design themselves so that no one else would need to change it. And although I don't completely agree with him, I think this can be applied to this It's a Small World scenario as well. The Walt Disney Imagineers are so good at their job. They're so good at creating things which are so seamless that we don't even notice it. That You can see all these different dolls from representing different countries, then move on and see dolls representing different countries, but it all feels seamless. If you started throwing in people's own creations, I sort of think it might start ruining that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. 
Disneyland Paris has had um, an interactive design and customised attraction in the past. Do you know what it is? No. Where's this going? Cyberspace Mountain. Ah, I have heard of this. Never went on it. Now, I was I have heard about it. quite lucky. It, um, it was when the old Disney Channel Studios was in the Walt Disney Studios Park. Uh, Cyberspace Mountain was basically an interactive roller coaster design type build-your-own-simulator. Um, I remember doing it once and I was so gutted that it wasn't there the next time I visited the park and thinking about how they could have added so much new technology to it because it was really good for what it was um, in 2002 uh, so basically you had a computer screen uh, you could choose I think it was touchscreen you could pick different parts of a roller coaster track you could then decide whether you put loops in corkscrews uh, you could change the speed uh, where the brakes were stuff like that obviously it overrides some stuff because it knows it's going to be too dangerous. But then what you do is, once, so while you're waiting in the queue, you're designing your own roller coaster, you get into this little red cylindrical, I don't know, hamster wheel type looking um, contraption. Um, it's for two people. You press go, and you basically are riding the attraction that you've just designed. Now, So it's a bit like Roller Coaster Tycoon, then? Yes, but it, it's, it's something that's happened. So interactivity and being able to design and interact with your own attraction has happened in Disneyland Paris before. It doesn't link anything to do with It's a Small World because you don't want people to be uh, sitting in a virtual version of It's a Small World with all the different bits. So I definitely wouldn't like to see people designing their own face or picking and choosing what's happening. Although technology-wise, it sounds really good but for the attraction and how how classic it is. I don't want to have that happening to this attraction. No. Finally, from Cafe Fantasia, some extremely silly ideas uh, which made me smile. It's a Zum Zum world. Obviously, you replace the dolls with Zum Zums, which I think is, is quite a fun idea. They're very popular at the minute. I don't know why, because they're weird little cylindrical things, but yeah, there we are. I'm not going to buy them. No, <laughs> me neither. Although some of them are cute, you have to admit. Oh, yeah, they're cute, but I wouldn't buy them for myself. I wouldn't know I have no idea what to do with them. Are they meant to be... I mean, the big ones are like massive travel pillows. I don't understand them. Anyway, we've digressed. We've digressed. The other uh, the other extremely silly idea, which really did make me laugh, was it's a Eurovision world where you uh, remove the sort of cliches from each country and you just replace them with their Eurovision song contest entry. Which, I mean, God, that would make things weird, wouldn't it? I wouldn't mind if that was um, a one-off or every year. Uh about the week before and a week after the Eurovision Song Contest this happened it'd I know be fun I th- wouldn't it just be, yeah because if you're leaving it as it is it's still classic but like they do with the Christmas overlay if you could overlay it with I don't know how you would do it but even if it was something to do with the songs or I don't know but it would just make it a bit fun and interesting um, I, I like the bit where it says from the comfort of the boats guests would be able to vote for their favourite country <laughs> using their smartphones we could even add this. This could even be a separate attraction completely. And obviously, we don't want to talk about other attractions, but we normally do. Captain EO, now if the rumours are true that that's leaving, um, and it's already been updated on the park guide, I believe, it's going to be called Discoveryland Theatre. Discoveryland Theatre. Um, could it be that, because obviously the, uh, the seating and stuff's going to be there, and the floor does move a little bit, could it be that they put something in there so one of the attractions I have over the Eurovision uh, Song Contest time of the year, could it be something that's like a virtual It's a Small World but with clips of all the songs? I don't know. It could, I, could I, be. I, I don't could think I I mean, it would, be, it would be a tragic shame to lose Captain EO for that. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> if, they're gonna have, if it's going to be empty, you might as well put something in there. It's very true. But I don't think I would visit that attraction either. Definitely, I think it's a no-no for It's a Eurovision World. We now move on to Matt, uh, who's sent in his comment on email, and uh, he says, well, firstly, what can I say? I love it. Who couldn't? It's classic, timeless, magical, etc., etc. Uh, even uh, though you have idiots flashing away with their cameras, uh, they usually shut up for a while because it's such a visual attraction and it takes your breath away. Which does also slam your idea of going in with a microphone <laughs> and doing the commentary. I, w- I wouldn't be flashing around with the camera though, I'd be uh, kind of doing it covert style, I'd be like, right, I'm uh, kind of in my jacket. I've uh, just went past the London Bridge and now over to the uh, frozen lake and... Bl- you're going to have the glasses with the moustache attached. Oh, yeah, a fake bl- black, blacked-out glasses, fake moustache, big nose. You wouldn't look suspicious at all. 
Not at all. And I'd have magical DLP written across the glasses as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, he says um, he's been lucky enough to actually have joined the Happiest Cruise on all five different versions, and the DLP version is wonderful. However, if he had to physically hold, well, he had to physically hold himself back from jumping ship with a duster. Uh, and Duster Buster in his hand in order to clean those filthy sets. Uh, like I said before, the carpet was terrible. Um, if my mother was on the attraction with me, she would probably do the same. She would get a pocket hoover out, if she has one, and she would just start hoovering everything because there was so much fluff and dirt. Uh, coins, rubbish. Uh, there was bottles, there was wrappers, there was wrappers of food and all sorts of stuff just uh-huh. sat there on the side. You kind of think that's just one of the simple things. Now, that's, I mean, that's easy to do. Isn't yeah. it? Just send a cast member and pick it up. No, you do because obviously they do. The, it's open all night, so they'll be in there cleaning. Hopefully, be cleaning things through the night, making sure the maintenance, maintenance is fine. But even if I don't know, could you have like a ten-minute section when the, all the boats come back to the uh, back to the station, and then in that ten minutes, right, everyone has hands on deck, get around there, check the water's clean, check there's nothing on the set, check the carpet's clean, just kind of like a ten-minute quick spruce up. I'm sure it's possible. Could be. I mean, what you'd obviously have to do, though, is stop the queue for a while, which would be a pain. <laughs> it would be, but if you if you could do it so... Well, obviously, through the middle of the day, you might have a peak time, but if there's a parade on... Yeah. Uh, I can, I'm sure that most attractions have a 10-minute or 15-minute uh, 101 time anyway, where it's out of action. Just just pretend it's broken. Oh, oh it's not working. Oh, the, the river's oh, dried up. Oh no! Oh dear! You're just just gonna have to hold there for ten minutes. And when you ask when you ask the cast member at the front how long it'll be, we don't know. We have no idea. <laughs> well, they, they do know what it's happening. They do know what's happening. They just won't, don't want to tell you. Yes. Most of the time, unless we've got cast members listening and uh, they want to tell us what really happens, that's fine. Um, what did he say? The boat is not even inside the shore building, and he can usually spot an ice skater frozen in motion. Uh, he says maybe Elsa has been working her wonders in there. Good pun. Very, uh, very apt for the time at the moment. Uh, although Frozen has been taken over, in my opinion, um, from Big Hero 6. But anyway, as we digress, let's move on. He talks about the Emerald Isle. The leprechauns have always been covered in spiders' webs and have not done the English jig since England last won Eurovision. <laughs> what is it with Eurovision? It <laughs> seems to be a theme, does it? <laughs> it's not time. When, when does Eurovision actually happen? It's in the next few. Is it this month? Next month? It it's is. Very it's close. coming soon. Yes. So it must be on people's brains at the moment. Wow. Uh, many of the sets have outlines of light bulbs that are never on. And he says that he did. Ad- yeah, he does admit that they look pretty amazing at Christmas uh, when most of the light bulbs were on. So as we mentioned before, they're probably for the Christmas overlay. And his final words are: He thinks the DLP is doing itself a disservice by not keeping this attraction together. I would Definitely, agree. But. Hopefully, when we have our general refresh in uh, July to December, that should be solved. Let's hope so, because it's a shame if not. Uh, Andrew Jackson, the last email, um, he couldn't think uh, what to write about this ride. It's one of the most rides in a Fantasyland that he rides with Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland Mares, Storybook, Boats and Casey Jr. Which is most of the attractions in Fantasyland. Basically, yeah, but it's one of the most do rides in Fantasyland. It's, it's, it is a must-do, isn't it? Oh, I mean, definitely. We, we'd said earlier that you know, you've, you've got to go on it at least once while you're there, maybe even multiple times per day. There is there is a, a, like a, a virtual list that people have in their heads. Some people write them down, but I've kept it in my head. But there, it's one of the rides that has to be on your list of, right, we need to try and do this this time in, during our visit or every visit. Um, he says it took until the recent closure or close fire, sorry, in California for him to realise how much he actually loved the ride. Now, I don't know if he was sitting there one day thinking, right, I don't really think I like It's a Small World anymore. Tell you what. Let's just turn on the news. Oh, wait a minute. What? There's a fire. It's a small world in California. I absolutely love that attraction. I would hate to lose it from Disneyland Paris. You need a disaster sometimes to bring things into perspective. It has a charm unlike any other ride he's been on, and even though it's not as technically brilliant as Pirates or Peter Pan, you can't help but smile when you come off it, even with that song stuck in your head. Very true. Although the ride is 23 years old, it's pretty much the same as the original in California. From what he's been on... Um, there's nothing like it that could match it in England and he says um, that something for a ride that's over 50 years old that's quite good oh, it certainly is it certainly is it's, it is a classic and we all adore it 
As for the future, there's not a lot he would change. Again, he mentions about the cleaning on the inside and the outside. He would stick his neck out and say that the original, at least, should be recognised in some way for its cultural and historical importance. Not everything has to be hanging in a museum or ruined castle for it to be important. Uh, and he thinks that the millions of people who have been on the ride over the last 50 years speak loud and clear about the love of this attraction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of innately important now by the fact that it's survived all this time, that it's been replicated across the world so true to the original you know it, if you started changing it now it would almost be a travesty it would be like someone going oh why don't we paint the pyramids in egypt bright pink you just you just can't once something gets to a to a certain age i'm gonna have to write that one down as well we'll make a quarter of that one <laughs> why don't we paint the pyramids pink you can't simple as <laughs> glad i could amuse iTunes reviews, uh, I love reading these. I've mentioned on a few podcasts now that uh, I have to flick through the different countries. I did that, and sadly, nobody from anywhere else in Europe or the world has left us a podcast rating on iTunes. Uh, but we've got three, yeah, there's three of them here. Um, the first one is from McCaffrey Laura, five star, great DLP insight and factoids. I love that word, factoids. Factoids, it's wonderful, um, isn't it? As other reviewers have said, there aren't many great DLP podcasts around, so I'm really pleased that Magical DLP makes this one. I love the different themes of attractions, restaurants, parks, etc., and all the detail the presenters are able to include. I can't wait to go back, and we'll have so much more knowledge and insight thanks to these podcasts. Great job, guys. There might even be a checklist for when you're on It's a Small World. Wall 1885, five-star review, great podcast, keep it up. This, this one, is my favourite review of all of them. It is. It's a great way to begin. I'm going to let you read it out. First sentence, originally I didn't like it. But the more I listened to you, you made me change my mind. Keep up the work, gents. So thank you very much. It doesn't. They don't say why they don't like it or didn't like it. They didn't say what made them change their mind. I don't know. But I love it made it. me smile, though. I enjoyed it as a review. I did like that. Uh, the final one was from Fearless50050. Um, Five-star review. If you love DLP, you'll love this podcast. This podcast ticks all the boxes for me and well worth a listen if you haven't already. It is interesting. It does not make me want to turn off after the first five minutes, which is good when it lasts for an hour and a half. Um, I like the presenters, I like the style of the presentation with a particular focus on the individual aspect of DLP. I feel I can relate to what the presenters are saying. It's just about the right length. I like hearing listeners' feedback. There is very little news. Other podcasts are available. It makes me realise how much she... Well, I'm reading what she's saying here. It makes her realise how much uh, she misses DLP and how much she's looking forward to going back. Keep up the good work. There will always be something about DLP to talk about. Where did you get the she from? When somebody's pregnant and you don't know what the sex is, you just pick a he or a she. You just pick he or she, don't you? <laughs> and I just, I just picked she there. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fine. Okay, they, they said there is little news. They said they missed uh, DLP and they're looking forward to going back. Fair call. Yeah, I agree. We're close I to would the like end. to go back as well. Yeah, any, any plans to go back soon, Simon? I would plan to either before uh, major school summer holidays this year or just after, because I want to go now and then leave it until 2017, as a lot of people are doing for this big refurbishment, sorry, refresh uh, patch that we've got coming up, because certainly there's, I mean, obviously right now uh, my favourite Space Mountain is closed, but as you start going further on, you start ending up with whole segments of Disneyland Park being closed at one time, You'll basically have whole Frontierland closed, all of Adventureland closed. It's it's not going to be a great time to visit, to be perfectly honest. But right now, it's, it's all right. Although there are a lot of green fences, and if you follow people like Disneyland Berry, uh, Inside DL Paris, ED92, if you follow any of them on Twitter, you'll see a lot of pictures being tweeted of green fences around the place. Yeah, it, it was, when I was there in March, it was very upsetting to see all the green fences, but then today I tweeted, because uh, inside DL Paris posted some more pictures of some more white sheets and more green fences, uh, and I did say it has to be done. If we, we always want the best for the parks, and they're doing what is best for the parks, which is kind of refreshing things. So, yes, it's sad if you're visiting the parks at the moment, but in the long term, it's only going to help the park that we love. 
You've always got Walt Disney Studios Park as well. It's, yeah. There's no green fences there. The, well, there's, there's actually there's a white sheet around the... Oh, let me see what it's called. You know the bit where there's the umbrella? Oh, the photo opportunity. The photo opportunity, yeah, that's that's surrounded by... a. The, the, for some reason, they like the creamy coloured tarpaulin at the moment. Very strange. Which is going to be quite sad when it, when and if they do uh, refresh the front of It's a Small World, which is what the podcast was about. And um, I'm sure they will. They're going to be putting up one hell of a bit. The scaffolding going around that is going to be really, really ugly. I mean, Space Mountain right now has white sheets uh, and scaffolding all the way around yeah, it. It's the Hyperion, um, for, well, the Hyperion as well. That's that, um, yeah, totally covered. That does as well. So I would, I would imagine we're going to have that for the facade of It's a Small World. Somebody on Twitter mentioned that they, we should have put chairs in, or should have bought chairs in green fences and white tarpaulin um, recently, rather than in chairs in Euro Disney. <laughs> yes, no, I saw that tweet as well, and it made me laugh. You'd be making more money. You would. You'd have a lot of money. There's a lot of green fences. But then again, as you said earlier, we'd be moaning if they weren't doing the refurbishment. It's a shame that... It's all happening uh, at once, but nonetheless, if it all happens so quickly, then we get it done and out of the way. It's a good thing for the future. Right, some of you will have realised today that we've opened up a little shop. I wanted to explain what this shop was about. Uh, we haven't done an article about it yet, but there'll be an article coming out in the next couple of days as well. But the Magical DLP shop just launched. Its sole purpose is to make sure that the Magical DLP website and podcast can stay online, because obviously it costs money to pay for the hosting of the website and of the podcast and if hopefully fingers crossed the podcast gets uh, more popular we'll have to move over to some different hosting so this is just a little no not a little plea but a little uh, advert just to say if you visit magicaldlp.co.uk forward slash shop on there you'll find some digital digital art uh, which is basically some quotes from disney attractions and the disney parks themselves put together in a nice little arty way by myself and you can download them. It's a free size quality, so it's really high quality image. You can take it to a local print company where they can print it off for you. You can uh, upload it to the internet and get somebody to print it to a canvas or whatever. All we ask for is a small fee, which will go in the pot to uh, help keep Magical DLP running. Um, so once again, it's magicaldlp.co.uk forward slash shop. If you have any ideas or you would like a custom quote or custom image made, uh, there's a contact us form on the website and you can uh, send us a message and we'll see what we can do. So, uh, bringing it to an end, uh, the focus of the next episode of the Magical DLP podcast, All Things Disney Dreams. Let us know your thoughts and feelings about this nighttime spectacular. Email us as usual to podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk or messages on Twitter, Facebook, or via our website, magicaldlp.co.uk. Also, if you like what we are doing, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and get in touch uh, about the podcast, because it's nothing without you. And as Simon mentioned before, probably the favourite part for both of us is reading um, your feedback and then discussing it on the show. We love a bit of listener opinion. It's good. We do. I can imagine in the future we'll just forget about talking about the attractions and we'll just talk about your feedback, especially when we have to go through the attractions again. So if we're talking about parts of the Caribbean again, uh, talking about what they've improved, if anything, then uh, we won't have to go through it scene by scene, so we'll just discuss your opinions. Anything you want to mention before we go, Simon? No, um, just simply that I'm looking forward to the next podcast about Disney Dreams, which, of course, as we all know, is not a show, it's a spectacular that's Which how it's I described. Particularly appreciate. It's a great word, isn't it? Nighttime spectacular. Spectacular. Yeah, for a while, um, Disneyland Park was advertising on the uh, one of the boards that has the timings on anywhere, the queue times. I can't remember which one. I think it was one just at the bottom of Main Street. That was advertising Disney Dreams as Disney Dream. Disney Dream. Yeah, and there's always got to be an exclamation mark at the end of Dreams. Oh yes, yeah. very um, important, fundamental. Thanks for joining us for episode six of Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. Until next time, it's time for us to say goodbye. Goodbye.